welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the legal ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. Earlier this year, Clock hosted a virtual summit for our EMEA audience. And on this episode, you'll hear a portion of one of the most provoking sessions from the summit about failure. I participated in what I felt was a vulnerable and impactful panel discussion with peers Michael Grupp, Daniel Yee, and Morris Schrevogel on how we have all learned and grown from failure. And now, the 2021 EMEA Summit session, How to Fail Fast and Pivot. So, um, happy to have here with me, uh, Jen McCarran, who is the Director of Legal Operations Technology at Netflix, um, joined by Marvel Schreifogel, who is the Chief Legal Innovation Officer at Novartis, and Daniel Yee, who is the Senior Counsel for Special Projects and Innovation at the U.S. Department of Justice. So, a really senior and savvy panel. And I would like to hand over to maybe the first contributions because all three speakers are ready to actually share what went wrong and what we could learn from this. And maybe Dan, handing over to you as our first speaker, what can you share? What has worked well and what has not worked well? How do you feel about it? What did you learn from it? Well, first off, thank you so much, Michael. And also, I've just been scrolling through the participant list today and it just makes me so happy to see so many people from around the world who actually I've been collaborating with and chatting with in different ways for a couple of years now. And it's really neat. So welcome to everybody, those of you who I've spoken with and those of you who I haven't yet, but I hope to soon. My name is Dan Yi, And for the past about five or six years, I've been DOJ's Senior Counsel for Legal Innovation. And I've got a story today that's not so much a story of failing fast and not so much a story about pivoting quickly. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. But it was something that was completely defining for me in many ways. And it really, really completely affected the trajectory of everything I did afterwards and really my career. The first task I was ever given when I kind of talked DOJ into creating a legal innovation role was they said, okay, that sounds good. Well, we've got this DMS project that we could really use some help on. And we're looking for an executive sponsor who's going to be able to drive that forward. How would you feel about taking that on? So I took that on. It was literally the first thing I did in the job. And it, this is a classic one. This is one that I'm sure a lot of people on this call have thought about it and have worked on and have done well. Well, I didn't do it well. It was a complete disaster. <laughs> now, let me run through exactly how it was. We had a product team that was basically a vendor. We had some technical folks and we had a business owner. The problem was that our business owner, our product owner was someone who was totally out of sync with the people who worked in the department and out of sync with the rest of the employees and his colleagues. He just didn't know that he was so. He had no idea that he was actually that far out of sync. We had a technical team that never said no. If the product owner said, hey, we're going to do this, they never said no and they never sort of asked, well, why should we do that? We had a vendor who said, look, we've done this a thousand times before. This is going great. This is how they always go. It's always rough. It's always unpleasant. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to get there. And that was sort of the team we had. We didn't think about change management at all. We thought change management meant sending a couple emails to people every now and then about what was coming. The first time we actually put the system design, like the many decisions you make around system design, the first time we actually put it to the test was a live pilot, maybe seven, eight months after we started the whole thing. And we tested the entire thing at once. And honestly, we just made a lot of bad design decisions. We were motivated, not based on 
how do we make sure people actually use this and this makes people's lives better? But we made a lot of decisions based on fear and worry about how people were going to try to break the system. And this should just tell you something. One design decision we made was to eliminate the delete button. So there was no way to delete anything in that went into the DMS. So if you created like a grocery store list and you happen to drop it into your DMS, it was there in perpetuity forever for everyone to find. And so that should just tell you how deep in the fog of war we got. That was, again, everything in the playbook that you shouldn't do and everything we're going to talk about today about why you shouldn't do it. I want to make sure that other folks get a chance to tell their tales of woe, though, but that's just the opener. And there's a very happy resolution to this story. But ultimately, I think that things like that, if that sounds familiar to you, and if that sounds like something that you've experienced before, yeah, you're in the right place. Thanks, Dan, for sharing. It sounds like an experience many of us had as soon as you run big IT projects and you're in the midst of actually leaving the classic project management of legal affairs and start handling project stakeholders of the IT crowd. The data privacy office must have loved the delete button issue. Retention people loved not having a delete button there. <laughs> I can imagine. Jen, I would like to hand over to you and ask okay. you if you can share a story with us that went differently than anticipated. Sure. I can draft off Dan's story as well, because one of my more recent big epic failures stars a document management solution. And I'm still in a document management solution implementation. And some of the things Dan was saying with change management gave me some notes on maybe I should do more than just email people a regular weekly update. So in choosing a document management solution for the legal team I work with now, I was a bit at a crossroads and I was stuck in making the choice. None of them on the market really fit fully the requirements of the environment I'm in now. And thinking about building a document management solution was even more daunting. I may want to switch careers and just start over in something new and put my five to 10 years in there rather than recreate what something like a NetDocs or an iManage has been doing for many years. And so I met with an engineering manager at Netflix and I said, I don't know what to do. And I was looking to the engineering manager to tell me what to do. And he's good at telling people what to do. He turned to me and he said, do a pilot and fail. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, do a pilot, time box it, pick one and go and tell us how it goes and shout your results. I was very early at Netflix then, but what I learned kind of in technicolor is that's a bit of the spirit of Netflix of innovation. That's what innovation means. It's doing what you don't know and kind of failing your way through it. And then at the end, you stand up and say what you've learned, say the direction you're going or pivoting to and own it. Just own it. Be courageous, like put a smile on your face and act like you planned this, which I've learned about halfway through this legal ops career that I do that very naturally. I've learned it from all of you, my peers. People are like, you're so confident. I'm like, really? I'm terrified inside. I have no idea what I'm doing a lot of the time. I slammed forward on the gas into a pilot. We put it into, call it a six-month period. We put some money behind it per the recommendation of this engineering manager to really make it count. And money will always make me work. Hire a personal trainer. He will show up and work out because you're spending your money, right? So I showed up for this pilot and we failed. It failed and it was failing 
probably halfway through the six month period all the way to the end. And I can see some newer people on my team who are working with me on this. They struggle with that. They wear the failure like it's a badge of their incompetence. And I remind them and remind myself, no, this is by design. This is what you do when you are trying to get where no one has got before with this kind of situation. And the complexity for me for Netflix for doc management is there's a Google Drive component, which nobody on planet Earth, no company yet has really truly solved for fully. And I knew it was going to fail the whole time. So it taught me a few things. Write it up and stand up at the end and shout it all out and communicate it throughout. Communicate at the onset. This is an experiment. Frame it in this. This is what we do to test and get an A or a B and have the courage to stand up and shout that even if you're shaking a little bit at the knees. I mean, think about you've all done speaking in front of your teams, your companies and clock and our community. Think about that moment when you're going to speak and you quiver. It happened to me today on this. The moment before it was passed to me by Michael, my heart rate went boom and I quivered and I was like, no way. And then I just plowed through. That's what you have to do with some of these and demonstrate a thought process behind it all. And people really attach to a thought process and just to kind of string it all together. When I look back on all the big milestones in my career in legal tech and legal ops, it's more defined by these moments, these failures, these pivots, these standing up and being like, hello, we failed. And here's what we're going to do next. Then it is like the good or the wins or the successful projects. I don't remember those as vividly. I love this. Jen, so you're already going deep into what we can take out of there and what actually is valuable in the whole subject. I'm counting DMS two, legal ops zero so far. Thanks for sharing both Dan and Jen. I want to get Mauros also to share some of his hard learnings before we maybe give this really productive spin to think about what we can actually do living in a state of high likeliness of failure. So Mauros, over to you. Thank you very much. So my story starts very early on, on my journey to become a legal operation professional. When I was given the opportunity to think about how we provide legal services roughly in 2010, for me, that was such a precious thing that I received that I didn't want to break it. So the early interpretation of my role was embossed with the idea of being an invisible servant to the legal function, trying to do the magic in the background that our lawyers, paralegals, and legal professionals just could be better at what it is that they did. So I was working relentless. I was working really hard, implementing new tools and trying begging people to start using those tools. And guess what happened? Nobody cared. Nobody really had an interest for anything that I was doing. As a matter of fact, people that were at the same age range or at the similar position questioned my intelligence. Why would I give up the role of a legal counsel to go into this field of legal operation? And as for Dan, I didn't realize what I was doing wrong until 
we received the, our new general counsel took office and she took me aside and she said, you're doing some really excellent work. And then she said the one thing that at that point in time was really hurtful, but I needed to hear it. She told me that, look, Maris, nobody really cares because you're trying to sell and promote shiny new tools that nobody knows what to do with it. What you should do instead is you need to figure out what is important for those legal professionals and you need to explain to them why they should be using those tools and what they can achieve when applying those tools to whatever it is that they do. And as hurtful as that was, this advice and these five minutes completely changed my career. For me and for the legal function at Novartis, that of course was an epic failure because we invested two or three years, a lot of money, a lot of really cool things, a lot of people time with very little progress. Thanks, Marwas. As painful as this is, the only good thing coming out of this immediately is the insight that what went wrong to actually learn about this. One, one key aspect that we all basically experience in these moments is that we need some information to actually learn from it. So before you actually get into the positive part, you need some data, you need some insight. And that means that someone needs to share. And here the problem starts. If you don't have the culture where people actually openly share what went wrong, you don't get to the bottom of things. You don't get to the reason you actually don't learn. You don't take the positive out of the investment that went down. And this is the maybe the most negative thing out of it all. But it also means that, and this is something we had to learn from product development, actually, hug the messenger, don't blame the messenger. So the messenger of the bad news, the people that show up and say, this doesn't work, I think we have a problem, don't blame them, hug them, because they are the ones that actually let us learn. It also means that you have to have a culture around this, you know, brighter at the core, we're a tech company, we're having a product, ideally only a product, and people use the product. So it's very inherently a tech company. And tech company means that many cultural aspects from software development are part of the culture. And software developers have a very democratic way of dealing with this because they know that projects fail. IT development means that projects fail. I think Gardner and Forrester regularly publish these horrible numbers of, I don't know, 66%, 70% of IT projects kind of go out of budget, go south, people leave the company and something goes wrong. So that means that actually, if you are a software developer, you will fail at some point. It's natural. You can expect that if you're doing a good job, you'll fail a lot. And that means that you have to get this culture of, we call them post-mortems. You look back, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and then you try to learn from this. So this is an approach we found helpful for at least our startup and to really learn fast from failures and implement them and then go again. And like this, grow basically uh, personally, but also in the company. I sometimes jokingly explain this to the commercial people who are in sales and in marketing that don't have this developer spirit. I say, you know, we're used to play chess. We're used to plan three steps ahead because we know, we think we know what's coming. Software development is playing Tetris. It's fast. It's reacting to things. It's finding out what works while you're playing. And this has a shift in the whole discussion. So I'd love to see, like, how do you deal with this? How do you live in that constant state? Maybe Mo was you already did the cliffhanger. What did you take out of this? Can you share a bit what the positive outcome was? Well, after hearing this and getting up again, what we, we then tried to find was 
an event, a hook that we could address the legal function with. And I'm extremely glad to have had the general counsel who actually found me in my misery. And then what we decided to do, we went on stage together and we were trying to look forward and we presented to the legal function an outlook of the type of work that is coming in our direction. And we had at that point in time a situation that we expected more product launches than we've ever had before in the history of Novartis. And what we we linked this with was to say, look, guys, we will not receive more resources. If you are telling us what it is that you do, we might be able to help you and free up your time so you can devote your time to the product launches that we are expecting. We added that sharing this information will be providing us with information. We don't really know what we can do with it, but we promise that there will be no restructuring. There will be nobody made redundant on the basis of this information. And this was providing the why to our lawyers or providing a purpose to be able to devote the time to what most people really love to do. And fast forward, we've done or we've launched an activity survey and only 10 days later, we got a 93, so 93% participation rate, which was the moment where my job dramatically changed because that was the buy-in from the function to signal that they're ready to look at doing things differently. And this marked the moment where I was able to stop pushing innovation to the function, but instead the people from the function reached out to me and the operations team asking for support in reimagining how they provided legal services. It was their change that we are supporting, enabling us to become change agents. There was a nugget in there. I mean, it was rich what you said, but there was a, a gold nugget specifically just saying giving a purpose to failure. It's like adding a why, why we're doing this, which is basically the first step in creating a culture around it and, you know, also proving value why you do it in the case of behemoths of big companies and really a change management in an organization, actually. Where's shareholder value in failure? That's the ultimate question. So this is a wonderful thought. Jen, you were already on track and sharing how you actually laid the cultural groundwork to deal with this constantly. You have a highly innovative company growing hyper fast, but having thousands of people and still testing new things. How do you keep that spirit and that constant state of proactive failure readiness? So I discovered along the way that I have that naturally in me. And when I would work at companies that wasn't imbued in the culture, I would suffer. <laughs> I wouldn't be as happy. I would feel sort of contained or more restrained. So it's important for you to be aligned with the culture of where you're sitting, where you're working, your department, your company. If they're all the way over in right field and you're in left field, you have to kind of close that gap. And I'm not saying go quit and apply at Netflix because I'll tell you, and I tell this to people sometimes, peers of mine at Netflix, I am uncomfortable in my work here more than I'm comfortable. So I would say 70 to 80% of the time I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm taking on these challenges. And 
it's deeply uncomfortable. And this is, again, sort of how I've made my career. It's what I seek. I seek the challenge. I seek the hike up the mountain. And it's very tiring. So I have to have a a support system, a lifestyle and everything that lets me unwind from that, that lets me have other things in my life where I can conquer something, be it a small project at work or a fun thing or a bike ride or the hobbies. You have to balance those things out so you don't absolutely lose your mind so you can step back in to the challenge. Very quickly, I have a hard time staying on the micro topics. We're going big into life and I'm deep into the direct messaging with people on storytelling. And I just actually want to draw out something I'm chatting with several people on. The ability to communicate and storytell everything you're doing in a compelling way is the best antidote to you being uncomfortable because you can not know what you're doing in an implementation. Maybe you never did a doc management implementation and they turn to you and they're like, you're the new legal ops person, do it. And you have no idea what to do. But you know how to communicate, you know how to make a slide deck, and you know, naturally, you all do how to make a story. You're all watching Netflix at night, right? You're all watching shows, you're all reading books. We've done this our whole lives. We're drawn to movies and drama and these classic story arcs. Write them in your slides on why the NDA automation tool you built is saving lives. And Use humor, use storytelling, use good imagery. Rehearse that presentation. I think I rehearsed my NDA presentation at Netflix, honestly, 130 times. Like This is the level of rehearsal I do for those big communication efforts. And I follow just classic storytelling frameworks that we know from books and narrative. And people eat that up. You could be talking about the paint chipping off the wall. But if you do it in a compelling way and show confidence there, they will buy that and trust you and go, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. They're just standing there telling this story. Balance things out with what you can control. You can control the number of times you rehearse that presentation or how good your slides look. And maybe you can't always control every single outcome of the project. But balance, I think that with soft skills of courage, storytelling, confidence, even if it's fake, just fill the tank with fake confidence. And I'm going to say it, fake it till you make it. Cause someone's talked about faking it very early on. And that's a key part of this too. Thanks, Jen. You're saying it's personal. It's really above all a very personal thing to fail. And then you're also saying, acknowledging that it's hard because if it's personal, it's hard on you. And if you acknowledge that it's hard, you're not breaking in the sense that you think you should have done it. You think it should have been easy, but in fact, it is hard and you have to acknowledge that it's hard, which gives you the strength to allocate time and resources to rehearse 130 times. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. I love it. This is the part. Knowing that failure will come and that you have to get ready for it will help many projects to actually not fail or actually to learn from it because you know it's going to be hard. This is something that also changes your culture because it adds a, sometimes a level of humbleness to people because you know at some point you'll fail too. That's an interesting notion in discussing uh, failure and learning from it. And Dan is back and I'd love to have his thoughts. Dan, so DMS level two, what happened afterwards and what could you take from it? Well, you know, I mean, just to close the loop on it and just to convince you, if you haven't yet, that it was basically a disaster is that we had people begging who had been for years begging for a DMS. They were calling me in the middle of the night in a panic when we went to pilot saying, if you go live with this, it will cause 80% of our work to cease happening. And they were right. 
most of you are, have been gotten these sort of panic calls before and you know, oh, actually, if we push through this, we're fine. In this case, they were absolutely right. When they explained it to me, it made total sense to me. And that would have even been fine. That still would have been fine if we were positioned to pivot, but we absolutely weren't positioned to pivot. They were right. It was either we were binary, all or none at that point. But the biggest lessons, I think, Jen really echoed it and framed it up so nicely, which is that now, because of this experience, one of the core philosophies I've adopted is that we are probably wrong. Our beginning orientation to every decision we make is that human beings, including us, are probably wrong, including you, including me, everybody. And it doesn't take a lot to see that because if you go and look out in the world, a large number of businesses fail. Nobody started a business thinking that it was going to fail. Everybody started it thinking this had a chance to be successful. And these are people who put all their chips in on the middle of the table. How can we expect our decisions that have much lower stakes, like some micro decision based on some small project that's one of 20 projects we're running? How do we expect that we're going to be right all the time? It's not possible. Once you accept that, I think everything else that flows from that makes way more sense, which is experimentation, testing, rapid iteration, the agile process. If you're into design thinking, the entire concept of design thinking, every single step and move you take and investment you make makes total sense if you have everyone bought into the basic premise that I'm probably wrong and I need to figure out if that's actually true in this case or not. I think the other is being open to failure and owning it. And we've talked about that a lot. I mean, the one immediate step I took, and I think this was a career saving step. This was the first project I took on and it crashed and burned. And I dare say that could have been a career ender for me before it really even got started. But the first and immediate thing I did in the aftermath of this DMS project was I wrote a four page memo that outlined every single thing that I failed to do along the way, every single intervention I could have taken, every single step I could have taken in the months and months and months that this project went on where I failed and didn't do the thing I needed to do in that moment. And I did it because it was very cathartic for me. I felt like I needed to do that to actually come to terms with something that really, for me, was a pretty hard blow to take. But, you know, I also published it. I circulated it. I didn't know what was going to happen when I did that. Nobody does this. This was something that like a step nobody in my organization takes. But when I did it, the reaction was the exact opposite to what the fear might be which is like, oh, wow, he just basically wrote up his own performance review or termination paperwork. It was the exact opposite. The amount of trust I built from actually being one of the few people who was willing to openly say, here is everything I wish I did differently and I failed to do it. And here's everything that in the future, every time I'm confronted with this situation, it's never going to happen again. Boy, I mean, that was probably not only just a career saver, it was a career builder for me. I learned so much from that. And I just encourage you as a junior person, do that because I can tell you now working with lots of people, if you're a junior person, the people I trust most on my team by just leaps and bounds are the people who are open about it, who are open about, I wish I did this better. I wish I did this better. Boy, that was not the right call. But in the future, here's what I learned from it. Those are the people I can trust as opposed to the people who tell me things are great all the time. And wow, we really nailed it. We made every right move. And it's like, I just don't believe that's true. I just don't like the world tells me that that's not true. So the trust level with those folks drops, whereas the trust level with the people who say, here's what I wish I did differently. And here's the things that the mistakes we made, it goes way up. And as a senior person, I think it's important to do because you then set the culture for everybody else 
to feel psychologically safe to do that. And so I took a gamble the first time I did that. But if I was more senior at the time, I think I would have felt it was less of a gamble. And I think that for the folks in this panel who are senior, what's the risk to you? You know, and the benefits can be just tremendous if you set that culture. Really insightful. And I think you can see from the comments that you get in the chat that this resonates with a number of people that feel immediately kind of touched by sharing vulnerabilities in failure. However, I want to say something maybe unpopular and it takes not just courage to share something. It also takes, I want to say seniority and it takes the notion that you are good in what you're doing. It's not easy. I don't like the word, but if you say like, I'm an A player, I don't care. I know I'm good. My boss knows I'm good. Everybody knows I'm good. I can share failure. That's an easy one. How do you implement this in a culture where not everybody feels equally ready to share, admit failure? And how do you build basically a culture for people to test things as a team where some people will be the bearer of bad news that will take this differently and lack the courage and maybe the confidence? Yeah, I agree that it's way easier as a senior person. And that's why I do think it's almost, if you want to be successful as an organization, it's incumbent on the senior people to step up and do that. I just have found, however, I don't think in the very beginning, just in terms of social hierarchy, maybe yeah, org chart is different, but in terms of like actual social standing in the organization, when I first started, I didn't have a lot of sort of leverage and I didn't have a lot of influence. And so I didn't think of myself as a particularly senior person at the start. And I just think that even at the most junior levels, the person who's willing to step up and do that and to be relentless about it, that person will come out ahead in the long term because boy, just being in a role where you lead and manage people, I've seen how valuable it is when I have people on my team who are doing that. You know, take a chance. I know it's very scary, but I think even having an open discussion with your boss and saying, hey, I want to try this. I want to push this. And I want to make sure that if I'm going to push this, I'm not going to be burned for it. I think that any good supervisor or boss or a leader would be ecstatic to have that discussion and conversation. So culture is what C-level tolerates. So C-level needs to fail by example. Morris? Probably going back to something Dan said, what can go wrong? We're not engaging into an activity because we're just trying to do something. We're trying to achieve a specific outcome. And we need to be clear that what today is that we are doing, the field of legal operations is very young. Many of the things that we do for the first time, or we do for the first time in a specific setting. And as long as we do this with good intention and we do this with the best possible means that are at our disposal, I think we should be purpose-driven and do the right thing. If that is not appreciated in the environment we're in, we might be in the wrong environment and we might consider to continue somewhere else or we might want to contribute to explaining the benefit of failing. And I think explaining the benefits of failing is an important discussion to have in the legal field because the concept of failure is not all that common. But luckily for all of us, in-house people, many other functions around us feel very comfortable with failing. And that is something to hold on. Something Morris said struck a chord with me Talking about the environment you're in, and I mentioned something earlier, as leaders, we have to study the culture of the company we're in, study the culture of our leadership, our departments, and you can only inspire an innovative cultures 
far as that culture permits and maybe one concentric circle out. Maybe you have a vision for a product or a tool or a solution that's five out. And you could say that. You could say, here's our North Star. But you have to say things that are within the realm of what this culture will permit. Back when I was writing a lot of knowledge management slide decks for Clock in 2017-18, I factored culture in as one of the six kind of foundations of knowledge management because if you're not speaking their language and you're innovating yourself like out of the ballpark, you're going to be frustrated and unhappy. But it doesn't mean you should quit your job. Like maybe you can bring yourself back in. And then to inspire a culture of innovation with people saying that report to you or all around you, you have to walk the walk. You have to teach by showing. You have to be the example. You have to stand up and shout your failures. You have to understand the culture in each person, where each individual is. This person that is on my team might just have a big appetite for risk. This person might be a highly structured thinker and looks at any failure as a big blemish to their competence. So I have to work with them to get them one concentric circle further outside where they are. So it's so much of understanding where the culture is, where each individual is, and then trying to take them all out from there. Hence management or leadership. That's what leadership is trying to grow them all on their own paths. You can't read a Steve Jobs Apple book and walk into the bank that you work in the next day and be like, we're going to do something like Steve Jobs. Like That's not the kind of failure we're talking about. That is going to raise eyebrows because that could be too extreme. An iconoclastic kind of cut the whole room with a knife extreme that would make people uncomfortable. You want to make people comfortably uncomfortable. One concentric circle outside where they are. And it's on us as movers, shakers, transformers in this industry to know that line. Where are we now? Where do we want to be? What is next? And let's just focus on change management to go to what's next. I think we agree with this, but also I like the, the closing, the, the circle, what you said before, announcing that there will be failure, basically creating a virtual sandbox. There will be failure. This is a POC. We are testing two things, two of them. This is the sandbox. This is the framework we're in. Expect failure. And this allows you to have a mini culture also that plays by different rules than the, than the ecosystem around it. Jen, thank you very much for sharing this. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you to Michael, Daniel, and Morris for your vulnerability and honesty in sharing during this conversation. And thank you to our EMEA members for participating in this year's virtual summit. We look forward to seeing you in person at the next EMEA Summit in London in February 2022. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time, 